Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. Praise the Lord. 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 Seven times. Each time different. Remember our philosophy of worship. Our philosophy of worship is worship. Amen. God is worthy to be praised at all times. Uh, something that I constantly reflect on is the book of Daniel chapter 3. When the three Hebrew boys are standing facing King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't bow to my golden statue, we're going to throw you into the fire. They said, do it. We're never bowing to your statue. They said, it's, and then they get into this argument and they said, we're going to turn it up seven times hotter. And they said, it's okay. Do whatever you want. We're never going to bow to your statue. And they get into this exchange in front of the whole city in Babylon. And their response is so specific and so precise. They said, King, we will never bow to your statue. Our God is able to save us. He can rescue us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't come save us, we will never bow to your gods. We only worship our God. You see, they had a resolve that we must learn to have. That God is not with us based on our circumstance. He's not with us based on whether or not things are going well. Based on whether or not he rescued you from this situation. God is with you no matter what. And he is worthy to be praised no matter what. Whether he rescues you or not. Whether he heals you or not. Can he do it? Absolutely. Will he do it? That's up to him, not you. Our responsibility, our job is to remind ourselves that he is worthy at all times, no matter the outcome. The outcome is not up to us, only the input. We are responsible for what we give. He is responsible for what comes out of it. And sometimes we start questioning God. We start being angry at God. We start questioning his, worthy, his worthiness, his worship if you will, based on what we're going through. But that's when you draw even closer and you stand firm and say, even if he doesn't fix this, I'm still going to worship. Amen? He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our time. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our complete surrender. You don't get to be an individual in this life and live a separate life apart from his dominion. If he is your king, then you must surrender all of you to his lordship. You must surrender everything about you to his authority and his will. Your individuality, your identity should be discovered through relationship with God and his word. If Remember, we've talked about this. If your identity is discovered through you, then you've missed the mark because you have an ending. God is limitless. God is never ending. Therefore, our identity should be discovered through him and, how, and our reflection of him. In James 4, verse 7, it says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. These are promises. If you want to fight the enemy, you must learn to resist. If you want to get closer to God, you must learn to draw near. Amen? 
If your heart is to worship God and to offer him the praise that he has designed and that he has asked for, then these seven words will deepen your understanding of his heart for worship. It will renew passion and inspire fresh worship. The point of origin for praise is always gratitude. And gratitude is not a reaction. Gratitude is a first response. We are taught to react to everything. We are taught to react to our situation emotionally. We are taught to react to whatever may be going on in our life, but regardless of what may be happening to you, regardless of what you may be going on in your life at the time. Gratitude should be at the top. In order for you to praise God properly, gratitude should be here at all times. Being grateful that you're his and he is yours. Amen. Being grateful that you get to have a relationship with the Lord. Being grateful that your kids get to have a relationship with the Lord. Being grateful that you're learning God's word. Being grateful that you're alive. Because guess what? There's someone else on the other side of the planet who's got it way worse that is way more grateful. Think about that. Because they know God. Because God rescued them from their hopelessness. See, we have this weird issue in America because we are so rich that we sometimes lose sight of the fact that our gratitude should be forefront and not kind of just, oh, well, when God blesses me, I'll be grateful. That's not how this works. Because what we call blessing, other people call excessive. Other sides of the world don't even understand the kind of money we have. They'll never see the kind of money we have. But they're grateful because they know Jesus. Where does your gratitude come from? From a result or from a relationship? You have to learn that your gratitude comes from Christ and Christ alone. So the seven Hebrew words of praise are halal. We talked about that. Yada, we talked about that. Toda, Shabak, Barak, Zamar, and Tehillah. Last time we talked about yada, which means to shoot, to throw, uh, to declare, to give thanks. We talked about um, how every time someone threw up their hands, this was, this was that type of praise, right? This, we also talked about how part of this word meant to throw, and this is what David did when he killed Goliath. It was an act of praise to go to war against Goliath, to stand up in the face of an enemy was an act of praise. And when he threw that stone, he was, there goes that yada right there. Boom, yada, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. We learned that David had a cause. And David was marked by his past victories. He remembered his victories. And because he remembered that God could use, he was able to have the confidence to move forward in this. He trusted that God could use him. He also learned that he could not go to war in someone else's armor. He could not use someone else's armor. He had to use what God taught him to use, right? And not all of us are designed the same. We're not all gifted the same. So you're supposed to use what God has given you to use. He, we also learned that his staff, he carried with him. Why did he even carry a staff? He didn't even use it. But that's the symbol of who he was. He was a shepherd. He didn't even use it to fight Goliath. But he took it because that was who he was. It was always with him. And David knew who he was. David confessed or declared that the battle was the Lord's. He approached that victory knowing that it belonged to God before it ever belongs to him. Throwing stones. Part of praising God is standing and fighting the battles that are in front of you knowing that God gets the glory. We have to learn that part of learning to praise God is to stand in the face of adversity and move forward. That's part of praising God. Throwing those stones, standing in front of that giant without fear, knowing that God is with you. That is part of learning how to praise God. 
Throwing up your hands in worship is symbolic. We do that all the time, right? We like to throw our hands over. That is the sign. In, in fact, I wish I need to figure out how to, to get it in here. I was trying to do it last night. The, the actual hieroglyphic symbol for this is actually a man doing this. It's like a, it looks like a stick figure. It's so wild, but it, it's a man doing this. It's throwing up the hands in worship. David, his name means beloved. That's what his name means. And it's clear why. He was God's beloved from day one for sure. But he calls us his beloved as well. So my encouragement at the end of that was to help you understand that your fight is your praise. Your fight is your praise. To stand and fight is your praise. Carrying your staff, even if you don't use it, but knowing who you are is your praise. Trusting God is your praise. Your confession, your declaration is your praise. And then lastly, walking in victory is your praise. Knowing that you're going to be victorious because God is with you, not because you're good, but because he's with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth that it brings. Thank you for your presence here this morning. Lord, we ask that as we move forward, that we hear from you, that we encounter you, that we draw closer to you, and you draw closer to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Today, we're going to talk about Toda. Now, I have to tell you this story because this is just, it's always on my mind. A uh, long time ago, Cheryl will probably die laughing back there, but at my parents' church, and if you're watching, Mom, Love you. At my parents' church, there was this song. It was like my dad's favorite song. And the song's name was Toda. <laughs> and literally, the song, like, sang the Hebrew word and then sang the description a little bit of what the Hebrew word went. And it, the song went, it's a sacrifice of praise. It was just like this never-ending loop of Toda. It's a sacrifice of praise in like the most R&B church music style ever. <sighs> no, thank you. <laughs> I thought about playing it for you, but I was like, nah. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it will never leave my mind. Like when I, when I was studying this, I was like, oh, I already know what Toda is. <laughs> I don't, even gotta, I don't even gotta work on that one. Uh, but I was actually shocked to find out so much more about this word. Uh, but that song just will never leave. It's just forever imprinted in my brain. And so Toda is interesting. Somebody, I think yesterday was like, You mean Tada? <laughs> I was like, Oh, yeah, Tada. Look, God did a magic trick. No, Toda. It's, it's very interesting. This word uh, means, and, and we'll throw it up there. Uh, an extension of the hand. It's actually connected to the one we just read, uh, which was yada. Uh, and it actually is also relation to confession and adoration and a sacrifice of praise. And interestingly enough, uh, Gilbert was singing about it this morning, thanksgiving. Uh, this word is where we get the word thanksgiving. Uh, you're not just, you know, what we do in November, but like, the real word to have a thankful heart, a giving heart that you're giving praise back to God because you're thankful. That's where this word comes from. It comes from the word Toda. This word happens 32 times in the scripture. There are three things that we want to highlight uh, from this word. Number one is confession. This is a different type of confession than what we read in Yada. And we're going to go through that. Thanksgiving's the other one. And then offerings is the third one. And it, these words are very, very important to understand. So in order to understand this, I want to take us back to an old story that we all should know. Uh, it's the story of Jericho. Right? The story of Jericho, the walls falling at Jericho. And what happens after is really what's most important. So first, if you don't know the story, uh, God 
told the Israelites to go to Jericho and that he would give them victory over the people. He gave them specific instructions to march around uh, the walls seven times and on and on the last day or seven days one time each day and on the last day march around it seven times and when you're done blow uh, the trumpets and make a loud noise and then I'll give you victory. And so they did exactly that. And on the last day, the walls came down. Now, there's all sorts of weird things that science has tried to you know, look at and all this. And some of the thought is that the, loud, the noise was so loud that it shook the walls and created an earthquake. I don't know. They're also saying that there might have been an actual earthquake during that time. We don't know. All we know is that they have found Jericho, by the way. Uh, one of our uh, professors from Bible college found the gates of Jericho. Like, he, you should go look it up. He's actually like a famous archaeologist and they found all this stuff. It's pretty wild. Uh, so this stuff is real. They found Jericho. They found the gates of Jericho. Um, and so this, the walls fell. They overtook the city. And God gave them very specific instructions on what to do with the stuff and what to do with the people. Right. And so in Joshua 6.18, it says this, Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. So God was very specific on what they could do with what they found. He wanted this stuff brought back so that they could do something specific with it. And we find out later that they're going to use it for the temple and all these other things, right? But he gave them instructions what to do and what not to do. And if you did what he said not to do, this is what will happen to you. You following me? Joshua 7, let's read it. But the Israelites violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Beth Haven. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai, since there are so few of them don't make all of our people struggle to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothes in dismay, threw dust on their heads, and bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. So now he's questioning his purpose. He's questioning why they're there. He's questioning God because they lost. There's this, this, uh, this huge defeat, right? And so now he's like, are you bringing us here just to die? All of this stuff, right? Lord, what can I say now that the Israelites have fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surrender, they will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? This is interesting because you would think this guy is trying to worship, but no, he's whining. He's in fear. It looks like he's doing something spiritual, but what he's really doing is doubting God and God is like why are you on your face why are you crying he's going to give him very clear reasons why this is happening to him he's going to answer his question verse 11 Israel has sinned and broken my covenant they have stolen some things that I've commanded must be set apart for me and they have not only stolen them but they have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings that is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Now we can stop right here for a second and just kind of take this in. God gave them clear instructions. They violated the covenant. And because a few men violated the covenant, the whole nation is now in jeopardy. 
Does this seem fair? Of course not. But is it just mm. to a perfect and holy God? This is just to a human fairness mindset. Absolutely not. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that purifies us, that makes us holy. Because without the blood of Jesus, justice would come to us all. Just like these guys. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Verse 13, get up. Command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. Man, that's important. How, how many times have you felt like you just can't get past something? You can't defeat something in your life. You can't win the battle. God is saying here to them, unless you destroy and remove the things that I've told you not to touch, you will never have the victory. So the truth is, is always relevant. It's always there. It's always clear. You want victory? Remove the things God has told you already to remove. And you know what's in your life that needs to be removed. You don't even need me to list it. Because you know. You're thinking through it right now. Boom, 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 boom. Right? It's easy. We know. He's saying you want victory? You want things to get back to where they're supposed to be? You want to be able to move forward and quit questioning, quit doubting? You want to be able to conquer your enemy? Get rid of the stuff that I told you you had no business messing with in the first place. In the morning, you must present yourselves by tribes, and the Lord will point out the tribe which is the guilty man belongs. The tribe must come forward with its clans, and the Lord will point out the guilty clan. That clan will then come forward, and the Lord will point out the guilty family. Finally, each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one. So God is going to single out this dude one by one, group by group, family by family, clan by clan, until they find the guy. What does that say? It means he's holding everyone accountable. Everyone's accountable. You may think it's just this guy's problem. Do you think somebody knew? It's possible. We don't know. It doesn't say that in the story. But he's holding everybody accountable. Because they're family. They're a nation. They're one unit. They're supposed to be in unity. So if one is out of sync, all are out of sync. And he's setting this clear message that I'm going to single everyone out. Not to just be rude. That's not his intention. It's to be clear that everyone is accountable. It's to create an example of, hey, don't bring this on your family. Don't bring this on your nation, right? Verse 15, the one who has stolen what was set apart for destruction will himself be burned with fire along with everything he has, even his own stuff. For he has broken the covenant of the Lord and has done horrible things in Israel. Verse 16, early the next morning, Joshua brought the tribes of Israel before the Lord and the tribe of Judah was singled out. Then the clans of Judah came forward and the clans of Zerah was singled out. Then the families of Zerah came forward and the family of Zimri was singled out. Every member of Zimri's family was brought forward person by person and Achan was singled out. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. That scripture right there is so important. Because Achan knows if he confesses, he's going to die. But Joshua approaches him by saying, give glory to the Lord by telling the truth. Man, that's rough. And then he says... Make your confession and tell me what you have done. That word confession is the word toda. 
And that word confession isn't what you and I would call confession like to confess of wrongdoing. It's different. Actually means to raise up your hands and surrender. This word means to praise God. Joshua is trying to give him this moment to give God glory and to give God praise before he receives his, his justice and punishment. This is wild to me. <laughs> this is so wild to me. But this is what God did. 20. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins, and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They're hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deep, deeper than the rest. So Joshua sent some men to make a search. They ran to the tent and found the stolen goods hidden there. Just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath the rest, they took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughter, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goat, tent, and everything he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and buried their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. That is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. And the Lord was no longer angry. Now, this story is brutal. There is just no way around it. This is brutal. But this was a picture, an example of what happens when you disobey. When you completely reject God's ways. This is why God sent Jesus. Because no one is without guilt. And no one is without shame. And if God had to deal righteously with everyone, no one would survive. None of us are good enough. That is why we have the blood of Jesus. That is why we are thankful for the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that there is no one good. No, not one. Not one person. So, Achan confessed. He praised the Lord. He gave God glory. And then he let them stone him. He received his punishment. This is wild. But this idea of confession is so vital because when you learn that surrender has to be a part of your relationship with God, you learn some things a whole lot faster. Total surrender means that your opinion doesn't matter. Total surrender means that your future is not in your hands. Total surrender means that the results are not in your hands. Total surrender means that you learn to praise God because you know he is sovereign. And because he is sovereign, he is so in control, it actually takes the weight off of you. You are not here to perform for him. You're here to praise him. You're here to remind yourself he is in control. Listen, there are people who are stressed beyond belief. If you've ever been stressed, you know what I'm talking about. Stressed to the point where you don't know what to do. You can't breathe, you can't eat, can't sleep, right? When you're in that mode, it's because you have not surrendered. Bottom line. When you're stressed like that, you have not surrendered. What's the cure for stress? Pills? No. 
surrender. Learning to praise God through a confession, a declaration of, I give up. That's what that means. That's Toda. <laughs> I give up. And I give up thankfully. Because it's, the weight is coming off of me. The, the performance is coming off of me. The surrender is, I'm going to surrender to your will, to your ways, to your plans, to your desires, to your thoughts, because there's no victory doing it my way. You want to know why David was so free? Because he was always in this place of surrender. Learn to be there. Philippians 2.5. I love this scripture. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said, you want to think like Jesus? This is how you think like Jesus. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That word confess is this. Like Christ means to praise, to surrender. You want to think like Christ? Right there. That's how you think like Christ. Be obedient even on the point of death. To where your life is not in your hands. It's in his Give it all you got, for sure. Remember the parable of the farmer. The farmer plants and he waters, but it's the Lord that brings the increase. What's your responsibility? Put 100% into it, but let him do what he's going to do. Give everything your all, but he is responsible for the results. See, we like to measure everything, don't we? We like to measure our bank accounts. We like to measure our time here and our time there. We like this, everything about the world is measurements. I wonder how much is really going to be measured in heaven. Because everything about numbers is to measure us, to compare us to us. That's what the, that's what the measurements are for. What if we thought like Jesus? Where our only measurement was how much did we surrender today? How obedient did we remain? As followers of Jesus, we must surrender all to him. This is what praise looks like. To surrender our will, to surrender our hopes, to surrender our dreams, to surrender our desires, to surrender our pasts, to surrender our futures, to surrender our pain, to surrender our victories. We surrender our failures. We surrender our anger. We surrender our depression. We surrender our pride. We surrender all. When he says to surrender all, you surrender all. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be like Christ. Because he came and he surrendered all. Joshua 8, the finality of the story. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid or discouraged. 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 Take all of your fighting men and attack Ai, for I have given you the king of Ai, his people, his town, and his land. You will destroy them as you destroy Jericho and its king. But this time, check it out, it doesn't seem fair. 
But this time you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the town. This is weird. Remember, it's never about the stuff. Because you would have thought by looking at the first story, God doesn't want them to have silver. God doesn't want them to have gold. God doesn't want them to have coins or a robe. It wasn't about the stuff. It was about obedience. So in this story, he says, oh, now that you're in compliance, now that you're obedient, now that you're in covenant again, you can have all the stuff. You see, if Achan would have just held on, if Achan would have just resisted the devil, if Achan would have said, well, that looks good right now, but if I stay obedient, I don't know what God will do later. Maybe he'll bless me later, but I want to take it now. Achan instead got ahead of God. So now Israel gets to keep, the whole nation gets to keep stuff. Everybody gets blessed now. I wonder if part of the reason he allowed this was because they were willing to follow through with the punishment with Achan, even though they probably didn't want to. This is hard, isn't it? But this time you may keep the plunder and the livestock for yourselves, set an ambush behind the town. So God gives them the victory ahead of time by giving them the, the strategy ahead of time. He said, set an ambush behind the town. So Joshua and all the fighting men set out to attack Ai. Joshua chose 30,000 of his best warriors. This time they didn't come with 3,000. They came with 30. <laughs> They're like, we're going to take this over. This is, this is going to be done real fast. 30,000 of his best warriors and sent them out at night with these orders. Hide in ambush close behind the town and be ready for action. Man, turn to your neighbors, tell them somebody, be ready for action. Y'all said that real light. Be ready for action. Mm-hmm. Be ready for action. When our main army attacks, the men of Ai will come out to fight as they did before, and we will run away from them. We will let them chase us until we have drawn them away from the town, for they will say the Israelites are running away from us as they did before. Then, while we are running from them, you will jump up from behind from your ambush and take possession of the town, for the Lord your God will give it to you. Set the town on fire as the Lord has commanded. You have your orders." So they left and went to the place of ambush between Bethel and the west side of Ai. But Joshua remained among the people in the camp that night. Early the next morning, Joshua roused the men and started toward Ai, accompanied by the elders of Israel. All the fighting men who were with Joshua marched in front of the town and camped on the north side of Ai, which the valley of between them and the town. That night, Joshua sent about 5,000 men to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the town. So they stationed the main army north of the town and the ambush west of the town. Joshua himself spent the night in the valley. When the king of Ai saw the Israelites across the valley, he and all his armies hurried out early in the morning and attacked the Israelites at a place overlooking the Jordan Valley. But he didn't realize there was an ambush behind the town. Joshua and the Israelite army fled toward the wilderness as they thought, as, as though they were badly beaten. Then all the men in the town were called out to chase after them. In this way, they were lured away from the town. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not chase after the Israelites. And the town was left wide open. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Point the spear in your hand toward Ai, for I will hand the town over to you. Joshua did as he was commanded. As soon as Joshua gave the signal, all the men in ambush jumped up from their position and poured into the town. They quickly captured it and set it on fire. When the men of Ai looked behind them, Smoke from the town as was filling the sky, and they had nowhere to go. For the Israelites, who had fled in the direction of the wilderness, now turned on their pursuers. When Joshua and all the other Israelites saw that the ambush had succeeded and that smoke was rising from the town, they turned and attacked the men of Ai. Meanwhile, the Israelites who were inside the town came out and attacked the enemy from the rear. So the men of Ai were caught in the middle 
When the Israelite fighters on both sides, Israel, Israel attacked them and not a single person survived or escaped. Only the king of Ai was taken alive and brought to Joshua. When the Israelite armies finished chasing and killing all the men of Ai in the open fields, they went back and finished off everyone inside. So the entire population of Ai, including the men and women, was wiped out that day, 12,000 in all. For Joshua kept holding out his spear until everyone who had lived in Ai was completely destroyed. Only the livestock and the treasures of the town were not destroyed, for the Israelites kept them as plunder for themselves as the Lord had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned the town of Ai, and it became a permanent mound of ruins, desolate to this very day. Joshua impaled the king of Ai on a sharpened pole and left him there until evening. At sunset, the Israelites took down the body as Joshua commanded and threw it in front of the town gate. They piled a great heap of stones over him that can still be seen today. Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. He followed the commands that Moses, the Lord's servant, had written in the book of instruction. Make me an altar from stones that are uncut and have not been shaped with iron tools. Then on the altar they presented burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And the Israelites watched wrote the Ten Commandments on this altar. Then all the Israelites, foreigners, and natives born alike, along with the elders, officers, and judges, were divided into two groups. One group stood in front of Mount Gerizim and the other from Mount Ebal. Each group faced the other. In between them stood the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. This was all done according to the commands that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had previously given for blessing the people of Israel. Joshua then read to them all the blessings and curses Moses had written in the book of instruction. Every word of every command that Moses had ever given was read to the entire assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. You might think this is just a crazy story, but embedded in all of that was praise. There was obedience, there was faithfulness, there was confession, there was declaration, and then when they built the altar and made sacrifice, they gave special offerings. That word offerings is the word toda. It is to offer kind of like a victory worship or a victory praise to say thank you. This is where we get the phrase thanksgiving. They were giving thanks to God for what he had done. He had given them a strategy He had given them a way to defeat the enemy and he gave them the victory and then he blessed them financially. He gave them physical things to bless them with. This was a thanksgiving. This is why our ancestors on the Mayflower came over and did a meal of thanksgiving because all of a sudden they're free. They're over in this new land. They're praising God for what He has done for them. We make it a really big deal because it's a big deal. We should remind ourselves that God has blessed us. Thanksgiving happens once a year, but does it happen with you every day? Is that praise happening every day? Are you thankful that God is with you? My favorite part about all of this is that when he says, for the Israelites who had fled in the direction of the wilderness now turned on their pursuers. When you follow what God says to follow, he will allow you. And because they listened, God says, now turn around, pursue. And they defeated their enemy. Worship team, come join me. So there's this other phrase that we've learned about. It's called a sacrifice of praise. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. 
when you give a sacrifice of praise, it should also be accompanied with serving someone else. He says, do not forget to do good and share for with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. When you give a sacrifice of praise, it's also a sacrifice when you give your time to serve another person, to bless another person. A sacrifice of praise is important because it reminds you that it's also not all about you. And then finally, 2 Samuel 24. I love this story. This is David when he's fleeing from Saul. And he doesn't know what to do. He's running for his life. And he comes to this certain village where there's a priest. And it says this in 2 Samuel 24, verse 20. It says, and when Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aruna went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Aruna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. This seems like just one of those stories you can just glaze over. But this is so important, the principle that David set. It's not a sacrifice of praise if it didn't cost you anything. It's not a true measure of worship and praise if it didn't require something from you. This whole thing about the seven Hebrew words is to teach us the importance of praise and worship. To remind us that we get to serve God. We get to be used by Him. We get to raise our kids and teach them about God. We get to talk to people about Jesus. We get to do all of this because he is worth it. And these words are to help us remind ourselves that all of that is not even about us. But it requires us to dig deep. It requires us our time, our effort, our energy, our devotion, our focus. And when we give him that, he receives our sacrifice of praise. He receives our worship. What, is, what does an offering look like if you didn't work for that? It's easy to give away money you didn't work for. Have you, those of you who have kids, how much, how many times did they want to just give away their money? And you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That didn't cost you anything, so you don't understand that you can't just give that away. You see, when it comes to worship and praise, those of you who have gone through some fire, you know what it takes to dig deep. To say, I'm going to give God praise and worship in the middle of my pain, in the middle of my heartache. That's a sacrifice of praise where you don't turn to God and go, why did you do this to me? You must hate me. You must not love me. You must be angry at me. You must be all these things. Instead, you surrender and you say, God, I don't know what your plan is. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. 
I'm going to give you the praise and the glory. I'm going to throw up my hands. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to say yes to your will and not my will. I'm going to follow your plans. I'm going to trust in your word because your word is higher than my word or my opinions or my thoughts. Your plans are higher than my plans. Your ways are higher than my ways. So you know what? I may be going through a dark valley. I may be about to fight an enemy, but I'm going to follow your plans. I'm not going to trust it my own. I'm going to surrender my plans. I'm going to surrender my will. I'm going to surrender my emotions. That's a sacrifice of praise because it costs you what you thought you were, your own identity, your own time, your own effort, all these things that, that we protect so dearly because, you know, we're strong and independent people. We can do anything. Apart from God, we are nothing. Apart from God, we are nothing. We live in a world that teaches you that you are your own God. I don't know if you realize this, but the American culture is what is called secular humanism. Secular humanism is something I've studied since I was in high school. In, in, in world religion, secular humanism is where the person is their God. The person is the point. The person is the focus. The person is all that matters. The person can do anything. The person can find the strength within themselves. That's secular humanism. America is a secular humanistic society because everything is designed to revolve around the person. That you can find freedom within yourself. You can find victory within yourself. You can find purpose within yourself. You can find identity within yourself. You can find worship within yourself. Like you can meditate around yourself is what secular humanism is. That's what America believes. And the gospel is the opposite of that. Because everything centers around Jesus and what he did. You want to be really free? You want to be truly secure? Surrender. Toda. You want to find your true self? Find him. Surrender. with this last part I've talked about this before when we talked about the issue of abortion and people will argue to the day they die about that issue I know what the Bible says is clear but there's something so real about what God said to Jeremiah when he said before follow it before you were in your mother's womb I knew you and I called you I anointed you I ordained you as a prophet Jeremiah before you even entered the womb now when I dug that out and when I studied it that word knew to know is yada it means to see face to face and behold you see we don't understand it because we are bound by our time construct but you saw God before you entered this world before you entered the womb. God knew you, he saw your face, and you saw his. Remember, we are spirit. We are not flesh and blood only. We are spirit. That's why the Bible says that those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Because if you think 
that you are bound by this world you're not the Bible says that we don't belong here we are not of this world we are in it but not of it we are passing through we are visiting this life event and at some point in whatever you want to call time you saw God and he saw you he said he told Jeremiah you saw me I called you I appointed you I anointed you I ordained you as a prophet before your parents even knew each other your identity was established then in that moment this is beyond our understanding so if you want to tell me that it's okay to remove that from the earth no sir because God knew that baby before that baby even existed. This is reality. This is the truth of God's word. It's not a political issue. It's a deeply heavenly father issue. Because he knows us in a way that we just don't get. And when he says to worship him, saying I just want to know you like that again he wants to reestablish that connection because it was probably nothing more pure than that moment we probably won't know that purity again till the other side and worship is a glimpse back at that moment Praise is a glimpse back at that moment where we were face to face with the Father. That's beautiful to me. Let's stand. To you this morning. begin to lay down whatever he's already told you you need to lay down he's already said hey this 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 doesn't belong in your life anymore it's hindering you from the victory it's hindering you from freedom it's hindering you from being able to truly give praise and worship your victories are being held back you haven't released these things that you think you want you think you need but you don't really need my encouragement to you right now is just take a moment close your eyes if you want to and just begin to surrender just begin to throw up your hands and to let go of everything gotten in the way remove everything that has gotten in the way of your worship remove everything that's gotten in the way of your praise in the way of prayer in the way of devotion to God in the way of time with him he's saying remove those things from among you confess surrender Father this morning we confess we surrender to your will we surrender to your ways we ask you Lord that you help us remove the things from our lives that you've said to get rid of a long time ago that you said no more to We give you this morning a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise. A praise of thanksgiving. Where we honor you with our actions. We honor you with our lips. We honor you 
with our heart and we say thank you for freedom thank you for victory thank you for your presence in our lives thank you for your nearness just take a couple minutes and just talk to them you can easily do so by visiting our website pursuitcc.com also follow us on all social media outlets by using at pursuitcc Thank you and God bless.